Welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. Our episode today is from our series, Happy Days. Does worshiping God bring joy to your life? Is Sunday morning a struggle, or is it the highlight of your week? In this series, Happy Days, we will walk through the letter to the Philippians and discover the wonderful gift of joy which God has placed in all those who love Him. Many of you know that I grew up in this area, and if you grew up in South Dakota, particularly the eastern part of South Dakota, and you're at least my age or maybe a little bit older, you probably remember a TV show that used to be on. It's one of my favorites, and, and again, if you're not local or, or if you're a little bit younger, maybe you don't remember this show as well, but it was the show Captain Eleven. All right, how many Captain Eleven people? Let's just see. Okay, there you go. If you're, if you're not familiar with Captain Eleven, basically there's a local TV station here in Sioux Falls, K-E-L-O. They call it Kello. If you say Kello Land, that's what most people know it as. And uh, they, they had a show, uh, the weatherman, Dave Dedrick. Um, he took on this role of this alter ego of being Captain Eleven, because, of course, it was Channel Eleven, right? And it's actually, many people don't understand this, two things that most people don't know about Captain Eleven. The first one is it's one of the actually the longest running, one of the longest running television shows, kids television shows in history, like in the history of television. Like I think it might have got passed since then, but at the time it was. The other thing that I, 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 don't, I can't confirm this, but what I've heard is that uh, Dave Dedrick didn't actually like kids, <laughs> which I think is kind of funny because like he's around kids all the time, Captain Eleven. But if you're not familiar with the show, if you don't remember it, uh, basically what would be is one of the features they had on the show was this toy chest, okay? And the chest was full of all these toys. And Captain Eleven had this giant board, and on the giant board there was what? Anybody remember? Keys, keys to the chest. And each key had a number. And so as a kid, this is a big deal, right? As a kid, you could write a letter to Captain Eleven. Now, for those of you younger, that's paper and pen, okay? <laughs> there was no email, there was no texting back then. You actually had to write a letter to Captain Eleven, and if he drew your letter, you would write a number on there, right? And he'd say, hey, little Jeff from Gettysburg, South Dakota, he picked key number 11. So Captain 11 would go over, pick key number 11 off the board, and go to the treasure chest and turn the key. And if your key was the one that opened the chest, you won all those prizes. It was the greatest moment. If you were a kid in this area, that was a huge deal, all right? You guys are not as excited about this as I was. I'm just telling you, it was great, all right? Everything that a little kid wanted is in this chest, and, and I never got picked. I'm a little bitter still. I'll get over it, right? A, we'll forgive that. But why am I telling you all this stuff? So if you're a guest or you're watching online, we've been in a series called Happy Days. We've been walking through the book of Philippians. And, and one more time, as we wrap up this series today, the key word that we've been talking about is the word joy. The key word in Philippians, the key thing that Paul wanted us to understand about this letter to this church that he loved was to be full of joy. And so bringing it back to Captain 11, here's what I want to understand. So many people in our lives, and many of us even, are searching for that key that's going to unlock the chest, that's going to give us everything we want in life. We, we, we keep searching for that. We long for that desire to find that one key. And, and here's what I'm going to tell you, church. It's actually right here in the book of Philippians. How do we find that key that's going to unlock the chest that's going to give us all of that joy in our life. And we're going to talk about that today. But just like on Captain 11, where there's a bunch of keys on there that don't work, it's the same thing as it's in life. There's a lot of keys that we try to open that chest that don't work. And every one of them leads us to failure and disappointment. 
And if you remember way back to uh, week two, we talked about these, I gave you four P's of things that people try, keys that they try to unlock in that chest. The first one I said was possessions. If I could just get more stuff. We talk about how we don't, we don't love money. Money's not what we love. We actually love the stuff we can get with money, right? That's what we really want. We want the nice clothes. We want the nice house. We want the nice car. All of those things. And those things aren't bad. Don't hear me say that. Those aren't bad things. But if we think that's going to be the key that's going to unlock our joy, we're going to be disappointed every time. So many of us pick up the key of pleasure. Every addiction, every... Um, uh, addiction that we have is found in this key, right? I, I, wanna, I have a need. I want to try to use that key to unlock it. A sexual addiction, gambling addiction, alcohol, drugs, all of those things are, are trying to find that pleasure. And if I just find that right key and I put it in there, I'm going to unlock all this joy in my life. And every time we're disappointed. Many of us reach for the key of power. If I could just be in charge, if I could get my way, if I could be my own boss, if, if people would just listen to me, then I would have everything that I want, and we would unlock that key. But every time, it fails. How about the key of prestige? Where we always uh, desire other people's opinions and people to think highly of us. And, and you know, right now on, on social media, there's a big thing called an influencer. And these are people who are famous for doing nothing. They just get a bunch of followers and a bunch of likes. And, and they, want, they want to have this influence. They want everybody to be looking at them to see what they do. And, and that's what our desire is, so many of us. And it's a key that never unlocks that chest. Every single one of those things will leave us disappointed, just like those keys on Captain 11 that didn't work. But, but I already said this, church. I'm going to come back to it again. There is a key. There is a key that is going to unlock that chest. And it's going to be the key to a joy-filled life. And you know this because you have people in your life that are full of joy. Every one of us could probably name somebody that's like, man, this person is just great to be around. They're awesome. They're so joy-filled. How is that possible? Because a lot of times the people that are most joyful, at least in my life, are the people that the world might look at as, as not so joyful. Sometimes they're people that have gone through terrible pain, terrible hurt, terrible addiction, terrible struggle. Maybe financially they're not the richest people in the world, but yet they're full of joy. And we look at that and we go, how is that possible? Because they know this key. I heard this said one time, and this is super cool. It says, if someone has something you don't have, it's because they know something you don't know. If you want to have that key to joy and you see it in other people, it's because they have something you don't know. And so today is our lucky day, church, because we're going to unlock that key together as we wrap up Philippians. So starting in verse 12 of chapter 4, it's going to be on the screens. This is Paul talking and he's writing to the Philippians. And, and see if you can relate to this statement. I know I can. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. <laughs> you can just stop right there. Many of our lives, it's been up and down, hasn't it? We, we might have had seasons of life that were going pretty good. We felt pretty confident. Things were going well. And yet we've had seasons where it wasn't so good, either financially, relationshiply, or even in our work. Paul goes on. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation while well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You know what Paul's saying there? I just want to help you with this. Joy is not determined by our circumstances. Joy is not determined by our circumstances. So many of us think that as long as I can get this or if things are going well, then I have joy. And then when those things go away or hurt, now I'm set, set down again. We just ride this roller coaster up and down. And Paul is saying, listen, it's not about circumstances. You can have joy whether you're well-fed or whether you're hungry. 
whether you're in plenty or in want. And then Philippians ver chapter 4, verse 13, it says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, this is probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. Guarantee you probably heard it. You might have heard of this translation, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, I, I'm not here to debate that, but I don't like that translation where it says all things, because that, that can be misrepresented. And people have taken that and misrepresented that verse and saying, I can do all things through Christ. I can jump out this window and fall down and not be hurt because I can do all things through Christ. Well, that's not true. <laughs> and that's not what Paul's saying here. This verse is very specifically talking about our circumstances and, and mostly our financial circumstances, how we are well-fed or whether hungry in plenty or in want. Paul says it again, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. See, Christ should be our strength no matter what our circumstances. So, so what is this key, Paul? What is this key to having a joy-filled life? How can we unlock it? Well, the next several verses, Paul goes on to describe a situation that happened. And, and I want to read this to you, and then we're going to pack together. Verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Paul was in need. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia... Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. See, Paul's ministry was dependent on the generosity of the people of God who would provide for his need. He relied on that generosity to have his livelihood. And sometimes it was good, sometimes it wasn't good. Sometimes he was in need, sometimes there was plenty. Now, if we know something about Paul, he was actually a tent maker. Paul had an occupation. And sometimes when Paul would move to a community, he would actually work as a tent maker to, to provide for himself because Paul believes you should you know, work if you can and provide for that. But there's also definitely during those times, there was times where people had to provide support for him to kind of supplement that as well. Or he would travel to a new place that would be very expensive. It's, it's expensive to travel nowadays. Just imagine back in the first century if you wanted to get on a ship and go to another part of the country. That was very expensive. He depended on the support of others. Now, here's what I want you to understand about what Paul's writing here. We've been talking about this church, the Philippians, that Paul actually planted. You can read about that back in the book of Acts. One thing that's interesting about this church is this was not the largest church in that area by any stretch. And in fact, most historians would tell you it was definitely not the most wealthy church. And some of the people were very much financially struggling. But here's what we can agree on and what Paul is going to go on to. Even though they might not have had the most, this was the church that gave the most. And if you read that passage again, Paul says, even when no one else was supporting me, you as a church were still doing that. Look at what he says in verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts, so important. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment. I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. See, here's what I want you to understand. I think Paul wanted the church to understand. Paul was not fishing for more money. <laughs> he wasn't saying, yeah, I know you gave me a little. Is there any more you can provide? That's not what he's doing here. That's not his heart. And in fact, he's saying, listen, I, you, you guys have given me so much already. I'm so grateful for what I have. But, but the key to that passage is where he says again, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. 
Paul's desire was not to get more. Paul's desire was for the Philippians to take the key that's going to unlock a joy-filled life. So I've strung you along long enough now. So you got your note sheet. Take them out. On the back side of this, it's blank. You're going to want to write this down because I'm going to give you the key to a joy-filled life. And it's, Paul is going to tell us what it is. We're going to find it out together. But the key to a joy-filled life, you want to write this down, be generous. Be generous. And, and let me add to this, no matter what the circumstances. Being generous, no matter what the circumstances, is the key to having a joy-filled life. Now, now, some of you might be pushing back on that, and that's okay, but here's what I want you to do. I want everybody in here to make a fist. And if you want to do it both fists, you can, but I got a microphone, so I just want you to take a fist. I want you to hold it. I want to pretend like you're holding on to something for dear life. Just squeeze it like, like you're going to fall away. Just, just hold on to it. Now, we've been doing this for about 15 seconds. Your hands should probably get kind of tight right now. Your muscles might be getting a little strained, and it might be kind of hurting, actually, for some to be holding it like that. And we've only been doing it for less than a minute now. Think of the tension that's in our hand. Now what I want you to do on the count of three, we're going to release. One, two, three. Release. Doesn't that feel good? Ain't you feel the blood flowing back in here? See how our hands are that? Now, now, now here's, here's my point in saying this. I know a lot of people who go through their life like this. I'm going to try to hold on to everything I can. I'm going to be as tight fisted as I possibly can. It's mine. You can't take it from me. I'm not going to do that. And you know what? Can I tell you something, church? Some of the most miserable people I know <laughs> are tight fisted like this. God did not design us to be tight fisted. God designed us to be open handed and saying, let's be generous. That is the key to unlocking generosity. So again, on your note sheet, I'm going to give you three things that Paul gives us. And we're going to walk through these together of what generosity actually is because i think it's misunderstood what does it mean to have a generous life here's the first one that generosity does generosity is encouraging generosity is encouraging listen to what paul is saying he's encouraged by the gifts that they gave they sent a gift by Epaphroditus. We've talked about Epaphroditus. This was a guy from Philippi who traveled to Paul. And the whole reason why we think this letter was written is Paul is basically writing a thank you letter to the church for Epaphroditus from the gift that they have given. And he's so blessed by it. And we talked about Epaphroditus. And I got to mention it again, that, that word, you know, if you ever come across a name in the Bible, you don't know how to say, remember what I always say? Say it with authority. Nobody else knows how to say it anyway, right? <laughs> so Epaphroditus, we've learned about him. He was a guy that came and blessed Paul. So just by bringing the gift, just by Epaphroditus' presence and traveling to Paul, that was a gift to Paul. And then whatever Paul received from the Philippians, be it financially, be it food, whatever it was, Paul was very blessed by that. It was encouraging to him. And everyone in this room knows that. If you've ever received a gift from somebody, that was completely unsolicited, that was just completely a generous gift to them, you felt encouraged by that. It's been a boost. It's been, it's been a love. It's been a joy to you. But, but the other part of this is true about generosity. It's not just encouraging to the person who gets the gift, is it? Because in the same way all of us have experienced receiving, but we've also experienced giving. And look at what Paul writes in Acts Chapter 20, verse 35. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to do what? Give. To give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than receive. And you've experienced that in your life. When you've been generous, you've been blessed. When you're the one that is able to provide for somebody's need in whatever way that is, 
you have been blessed just as they have been too as well. See, generosity is encouraging, not just for the people who receive it, but it's also encouraging for the giver as well. Here's the second thing generosity is. Generosity is eternal. Generosity is eternal. So many people live their lives as if planet Earth is the end game. So many people will say, you know, I'm about building my kingdom. I want to build my wealth. I want to build what I live here and, and all this stuff. And, and, and please hear that. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to want things. It's not a bad thing to work hard. It's not a bad thing to have money. I can show you in the Bible, there's so many people that were wealthy. Being wealthy isn't a bad thing. That's not what we're saying here. But what we're saying here is all of that stuff that you earn on earth, <laughs> no matter how much or how little you get, at the end of your life, guess what happens to it? <laughs> It all stays here. You don't get to take any of it with you. And if your focus is, I want to build up as much as I can have and I can keep, can I help you with something? I've done enough funerals to know it all goes away. And in fact, you know, as a pastor, some of the times, or I should say, when there's a death, a lot of times, you know, you're called the pastor, you're called in. I've been in those situations where we've walked into to homes and, and again, everything that's there is still there and it's gone. And some of the saddest times are when there are people, and I've had this happen actually recently, when there's somebody who had a bunch of stuff and nobody was there. They didn't have any family. They didn't have any friends. And it's just there. And nobody ends up wanting it or taking it. It's just so sad. It breaks my heart. And you think about an entire human life of, of gathering and collecting all this stuff. And then when you're gone, it's gone. And there's nothing else to do that, church. Now, I'm not trying to depress you here, okay? Because it's kind of depressing to think about, but, but I want to give you hope. Because what did I say? Generosity is eternal. If you're just interested in building your kingdom here, you're going to be disappointed. But if you're interested in being generous, that's building up treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. See, you are a blessing to other people, and God sees that. That is eternal. Look at what Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, there's our word, and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, I've heard this said a lot of times, and, and, and I just want to address it. You know, yeah, pastor, if I had a lot of money, sure, I'd be generous. Yeah, just God, you know, make me rich, and then I'll be generous with that. Well, remember what we said? It's not about your circumstances, is it? It doesn't matter how much you think you have or how much you don't think you have. How can you be generous with what God has been given you? And, and so many people say, pastor, you don't understand. I'm struggling. I get it. I, 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 hear, I hear what you're saying, but, but here's what I want to help you understand. Have you traveled outside the United States of America? Because if you have, you're going to understand what real need really is. Because we live in the greatest, richest country that's ever existed in human, human history. And, and I know there are people who are struggling. I'm not saying that, but, but here's what I'm saying. A lot of times it's a matter of perspective. And, and, and what you have, sometimes we don't appreciate what we have, but there's so much more that we can have if we see our lives as being generous. And not about building our kingdom, but about building God's. See, generosity has nothing to do with our circumstances. It's got everything to do with our heart. 
And are we looking at building our kingdom here, accumulating all we can and having all we can? Are we looking to how can we use what God has given us to be a blessing to others? So generosity means we're encouraging. Generosity is eternal. Here's the third thing that generosity is, and I think this sometimes is overlooked, but Paul does a good job of saying this. Generosity is enjoyed by God. God enjoys when we're being generous. And one of the reasons why God enjoys it is because we're never more like Jesus than when we are being generous and we're giving because that's what Jesus did, right? So God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. God gave. Generosity is who we are. And one of the great joys of being a father, and, and I've had a lot of great joys as being a father, but one of the great joys I have of being a father is when my kids are givers. And, and a lot of times, you know, birthdays, anniversaries, father days, Christmas, my kids have given me gifts. They have blessed me with gifts. And some of those things that I have, I'll probably have until the day I die because they're so significant and they mean so much to me. Now, I'm also a little bit cynical if you haven't figured that out about me, right? Because I'll say, if my kids take the time to go get me a gift and spend money to bid it to me, it's usually my money anyway. <laughs> like, I gave you the money to go and buy the stuff for me to give it to me. Thank you for using my money in that way, right? And, and I laugh about it. And I'm not trying to be sarcastic, but, but here's what I want you to understand. Everything you have comes from your father. So when my kids are generous, they're not doing it on their own. They're doing it because of what I've blessed them with. Church, can I help you with something? When you're being generous, it's because of what God has given you. And God has given us everything. And we can't outgive God. But it gives God joy when we're generous to him. One of the things that, uh, as I was preparing this message, in my own personal study of the Bible, going through the book of Chronicles. And one of the things that I love about Chronicles is when it talks about when Solomon, King Solomon built the temple. God was called, or King Solomon was called by his father David to build the great temple to God. And, and the temple that King Solomon built was considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was so expensive. It took years to build. And, you know, the Bible goes into great detail and great description on what this temple looked like and all the cool things about this temple. And it got to the place where they were going to dedicate the temple. The first, if you want to think about it, Sunday in the temple. And they brought in the choir and they brought in the priest and they had a big show and it was all awesome. And Solomon said something, and I want to share it with you in verse 14 of First Chronicles 29. This is what Solomon said. This amazing, magical temple that he had built. But who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give generously as this? There's our word again. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Can, can I just be real, church, for a second? God is not impressed by your generosity. God has never been impressed by your generosity because you know why? You can't outgive God because it's all his anyway. God enjoys the fact that we are generous. And throughout the history of our church, you know, we've had a lot of people that have been generous. And, and I'm, not, I'm just going to let you know, there's been some people that have given gifts to our church that we've actually turned down. You might say, why would you do that? Because sometimes when people give gifts to the church, they come with strings attached. And they'll say, oh, we'll give to the church, but we want this to happen. And it's like, well, that's not really being generous, is it? And, and, I, and I thank them and I appreciate it, but I said, that's not what we're going to do. And, and, and the reason why I think sometimes they do is because they want, they want to be impressed by it. They want me to be impressed by that. And, and I just want to help you something. I'm not impressed because God's not impressed either. Am I appreciative? Am I grateful for your generosity? Absolutely I am. 
but I'm never impressed by that because God's not impressed by it either. But God enjoys it when we are generous. It, he's definitely, his desires for us, it gives him pleasure to see his children blessing his children in those ways. Look at what it says in verse 18. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul is referring to the book of Leviticus when he says this. And, and back in the Jewish times, in the temple days, there used to be sacrifices. Many of you know the animal sacrifices they would make. And, and they would sacrifice other things as well. But, but one of the things they would sacrifice is they would burn incense to God. They would, the temple was filled with this great smelling aroma because a lot of times when we're thinking about things, uh, smell is a big deal to us. And, and when we smell those, they're a pleasure to us. Last night, for example, my family were in Sioux Falls and we went to eat at Famous Dave's, <laughs> right? And when you walk into Famous Dave's, there's an aroma that hits your nose. And many of you are probably thinking about that right now, right? Those good ribs that taste so good. That was what it was like to go into God's temple. There was a, a fragrant aroma that would come. And it was pleasing to the people, but it's also pleasing to God. And that's what God says. Every time we are generous towards God, towards other people, it's like a fragrant aroma, a, a pleasing sacrifice to God. God enjoys our generosity. So what's the key to having a joy-filled life? What's that key that we can take off to unlock the chest? Be generous, no matter what the circumstances. No matter what your circumstances, be open-handed and be generous. Now, it's not enough just to say that. I, I understand that there's a lot of things that come with that, but, but here's what I really want you to understand about this passage. This passage is not just a premise of, of generosity. This passage also comes with a promise. And, and I agree with Rick Warren. He says that this promise that comes right in this next verse is called the umbrella promise. Think about an umbrella for a minute. An umbrella is what covers all the rest of it. And this is the promise that comes when, when we live our lives as generous, when we do things that, are, that, God, that encourage other people, when we have an internal perspective, when we do it for the pleasure of God, not to impress God, this is the promise that comes. And this is Philippians 4.19. And this is a great verse to memorize if you haven't. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Church, that's the promise. My God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, there's two parts to that, and we're going to unpack that together. And, and we'll, the, the my God and will meet all your needs. We're going to take that last part first. See, when we talk about my God meeting all your needs, I think that can conjure up a lot of different images for us. And I just want to spend some time talking about that. See, here's what I'm going with that. In 1890, there was a sociological study that took place that asked people in the United States of America what they thought were their basic needs to survive. If you could cut away everything else, but you could only have these things, how many, what are those things that you would need, those basic things you would need to survive, and then how many of those would be the total? What they found in this study, again, 1890, 1890, Americans said there's basically 16 basic needs in order to survive. If we could have these 16 things, we would be able to survive basic needs. Now, here's the interesting thing about this study. They repeated the exact same study 100 years later in 1990. So they surveyed Americans in 1990, 100 years after this, and said, okay, if you, the basic needs, what are the basic needs that you would need to survive? How many of you think the list grew? Yeah, right? In over 100 years, this is how much it grew. This is what's surprising. 
remember in 1890, 16 things? We, we think we need, we have these 16 things we can survive. In 1990, the list was 98. <laughs> we need these 98 things to survive. Now think about the 20th century. Think about all the things we gained, right? Indoor plumbing, electricity, I could go on and on and on, automobiles, cars. Think of all those things that we think, we think in our minds that we need. 100 years ago, they didn't need 90% of that. They were good with 16. But it gets worse. <laughs> in 2010, just 20 years, just 20 years after the study in 1990, how many of you think the list of needs grew? <laughs> yeah, but it's surprising how much it grew. In just 20 years, remember, 1890, we need 16 things. 16 things, we're good. 1990, we need 98 things. If we have these 98 things, we're good. In 2010, the list grew to over 400. Think about that, church. The 21st century is not starting off very well, is it? And here's what I want to understand. There's a list of 400 things we think we need, and I think there's a lot of things we don't need. And, and I think there's a lot of things in our culture that we look at as needs that aren't. And so when we look at a verse that we says, and my God will meet all your needs, how do you define needs? Can I tell you something? I think God defines needs a little different than you and I do. I remember one time, I, this is, I was very early in my faith, and I, and I said to a guy, I said, oh, I need some prayer. He said, oh, what do I need to pray for? I said, oh, my car. And he stopped me. He goes, your car? I'm like, yeah, I, I need prayer for my car. He goes, do you have feet? <laughs> Did God give you feet? Yeah. He's like, so why are we praying for a car again? I'm like, oh, see the perspective? Do you see how quickly we can go into that? Now, now am I saying it's wrong to have a car? No. Am I saying you, you shouldn't pray? No, pray about your car, that's fine. But think about in your mind. When you say, my God will meet all your needs, what does that mean to you? What are our actual needs? James 4.3. This is such a good, good promise here. When you ask, you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James is saying something here that's a very important principle. We don't give to get. That's not how this works. I know there's pastors, I know there's churches that stand up and say, if you give to God, then God will rain down $100 bills. I, just, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I think it's heresy. I, I completely disagree with that. And, and if you give to get, you are going to be sorely disappointed. Because look at Jesus, okay? When Jesus died, he had nothing. And I would say he probably had a pretty effective ministry, wouldn't you? Okay? So we don't give to get the rewards that we think we need. We give to be generous to God. And, and, and that's what we need to understand. My God will meet all of your needs. And here's the second part of that that I want to talk about. We talk about the needs. But now I want to go back to talking about the first part of it, where it says, my God. My God will meet all your needs. Is God personal to you? Paul didn't just say, a God or the God. Paul said, my God. When you talk about God, is it personal to you? Because it was very personal to Paul. And, and I want to help you with something. This promise that, God, that Paul writes for us, it has to become personal. We have to personally understand that this is my God. And my God will meet all of your needs and be okay with that because that's what my God can do. My God can meet all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And have you done that yet? And if you're watching online or if you're in this room and you haven't yet made that personal, let's do that today. Today can be the day where you can say, listen, I, don't, I need to make it my God. I want to make it personal. I don't want to be grabbing onto things that don't matter 
I want to pursue God and be generous with my life. And you can do that even here today. So what's the key to joyful living? It's being generous. Generosity is a key to joy-filled giving. It's encouraging not only just to be the receiver, but so much more to be the giver. Generosity is eternal. At the end of the day, we're leaving everything here behind anyway. So why hold on to it? Why not share it? Why not give and be a blessing? And in doing so, you will be blessed in the next life to come. And generosity is enjoyed by God. God is not impressed by our gifts, but God enjoys it when his children give. And all of that is to say the promise one more time. Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's the promise that we have, church. My God, who is rich in the glory of Christ Jesus, will meet all your needs. Not your wants, <laughs> not for your benefit, but to be a blessing to other people. And church, I, I know whenever we talk about this in church, it, it always comes up, and, and, and I just have to address it, because Paul, I think, did a great job of addressing it too, and, and I want to address it too as well. Oh, pastor, you're probably saying that because you're in need. You probably want the, the offering to get bigger. You probably want the, the, the plate to get bigger. Please hear my heart, and I'm going to say it just as Paul said. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I'm not saying this because our church is in need. I'm saying it because I want you to have the key that's going to unlock the joyful giving in your life. And that's the key, is to be generous. Our church has been so blessed, and, and, and I've shared this before, even throughout COVID and even through all everything that happened last year, our, our God has provided over and over again. And ever since the day that Elaine and I moved to Yankton, um, we've been so blessed. And, and just as Paul said as the Philippians, many of you in this room are the reason why we're still here. Is <laughs> because even when others were saying no, a lot of people in this room stood up and said, yes, we're still going to be generous and we're still going to give. And, and church, I, I can't thank you enough for that. And, and if there's some of you maybe listening online or maybe you're in the room today and you haven't taken that step to say, hey, I want to be, be generous with God. I, I want to return to God through my tithes and offerings and be, be faithful in that. Can I just encourage you today is a good day to do that. I'm not saying that because I'm in need. It's because I want to have God's blessing on your life where you can have that open hand and say, okay, God, I, I'm not here to get. I'm here to give. I'm here to bless other people because that's what Paul wants for us. Let's pray. God, it's easy to stand up here with a microphone and then I got to put it down and I got to go out there and I got to live out what I just said. That's always the hard part. God, forgive me for the times in my life where I've been close-fisted and I haven't been as generous as, as what you've called us to be. God, I believe with all my heart just what Paul shared here, that really that, that key that's going to unlock that joy-filled life that, that desire that we search for in, in pleasure and in prestige and in power and all the other ways that we try to fill that void comes when we understand that our life is about giving it away. And God, I know there might be some here today or even watching online or listening to our podcast that might be hearing that going, okay, but I don't know how that works. I, when, I look at, when I look at what I have coming in, I, I don't know how I can be generous or, or how I can be more generous with what I've been doing. And God, I just pray that you would find a way for that. And whatever that is, God, no matter what the circumstance is, because again, it doesn't matter about our circumstances. 
and those who are have wealth in this world, God. I thank you for that. I thank you for people who have the ability to, to make money and to do well and are successful, God. You're not against them. But God, I pray just, just, as, just as Paul wrote to Timothy that they wouldn't use that to just build up their kingdom, but they would use that to build your kingdom and, and to serve and to, and to give that way, God. And God, I pray that you would just give us all direction as far as what that means in our lives to be generous, to be open-handed, to, to love other people the way you want us to, God. Because we know it's a blessing to the people we give, but it's also a blessing for those who are who receive. God, we know that this world, we can't take anything with us. And we know that nothing gives you more pleasure than when your children act like your son, Jesus, and give. And Jesus gave everything. He gave the ultimate gift, and we can't outgive you, God. God, everything we have comes from you. So we thank you for that, and we praise you for that. And one more time, Lord, this is my prayer that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Jesus, we thank you and ask all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you live in the Yankton area, We'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. Or you can join us live online from our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, Celebrate Yankton. If you'd like to grow more in your faith, check out one of our life groups that meet throughout the week. For a list of days and times, please visit our website, yankton.church. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and share with others.